I'm ready. Okay, guys, uh, welcome to the Typical Skeptic Podcast. Um, I have an amazing show for you guys today, but first I want to give a big shout out to the Global Enlightenment Radio Network. This is my first show live with them, and to kick it off, I have an insanely amazing guest I have with me, Brad Olson. You guys know about Brad. He's an adventurer, world traveler, author of 10 books, including the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric, Future Esoteric, and what we'll mostly be talking about today is Beyond Esoteric. Um, it's an excellent book. He's holding it up now. You can you can get the Kindle edition for um, $9.99, but as he, held, he just held it up. It's, it's, it has a really beautiful cover. It has everything from the yellow cube on it to like everything that is in, in our crazy world. And as he calls it, the escape from prison planet. So I want to give him a big and welcome him to the show. Brad, thank you for coming on. How are you? Hey, I'm doing just great. Thank you for having me on again. It's always yeah. a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't start off by asking you what you thought of those that UFO congressional hearing. I mean, I, I, I don't I don't know where I've had a couple <laughs> people on about it so far. I think it was a big joke. Like it was like it, it's either like they're I've said this on my show before. It's either like they're completely lost or they know a lot and they're not saying anything, or either it's a little bit of both. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I didn't uh, have a chance to watch it live, but based on what people sent to me and what I read about of, of those commentators who I trust their opinion, it sounded like a big nothing burger. But I'll yeah. preface it by saying this. Something is better than nothing. At least there's a discussion that is happening in the halls of Congress, and that's a good thing. Whether yeah. it revealed anything we didn't already know, I think that's up for debate. But, uh, hey, at least uh, the drip, drip, drip of disclosure is a little bit of a stream flow now, so that's a good thing. What I'm wondering, Brad, is like, I mean, like, how many people in Congress are in the dark? If you hear Dr. Greer talk, like... He says that like there's these special black ops projects where only a few people know about it. So that means that we have reverse engineered craft that those people that were at those, those hearing may not even know about it. You know, so I wonder who exactly knows about these special ops programs and like who, who's privy to it, who isn't. I mean, do you have anything to say about any of that stuff? Well, that's a great question, Robert, because look, if we could have, I'm sure they know about it too. But what Dr. Greer was alluding to is that everything is so compartmentalized and kept from the purview of even members of Congress that you don't have a real free flow. Of, and therefore gives members of Congress plausible deniability, meaning they can just say, oh, well, we didn't know when all this stuff yeah, they did know but they just want to hide behind this veneer of plausible deniability. Yeah, or make it they are trying to seek this out, trying to get to the bottom of it. Mm, okay, well, you've had seven decades to do that and haven't really come up with much. So, yeah, let's see, let's keep it going. No reason to stop it, and hopefully, think... something good will come of it. 
I think, like you said, I think something's better than nothing, though, right? At least some some people in Congress are trying to push for the truth. Like it it seems like that, at least, you know. But uh, I wanted to get your opinion on Skinwalker Ranch. Like I don't even watch the show, but exactly. the, the, there's uh, the I guess this show's been going on. It's called the Hunt for, or I can't. It's on the History Channel. It's really good, supposedly. And uh, my I, I know you studied Skinwalker pretty carefully, and then. My friend told me the other day, he's like, dude, they found something there. He's like, they're they're definitely on to something, that new team that's investigating there. And um, I don't know what exactly they found, whether it's something under the ground. But what do you think might be under there? Well, I've, I've been to Skinwalker a couple of times. A friend of mine owns some land, which is adjacent. You can't to actually get into Skinwalker Ranch unless of course you're invited and it's a very privately held piece of property but we can look down in it and I have seen some anomalous sights myself in the middle of the night light slowly just kind of coursing back and forth and I've been to conferences where the people of the History Channel show Mystery Skinwalker Ranch have appeared and spoken to the audience uh only about 20 25 miles away to the northeast is blind frog ranch that one to me is equally interesting if not more because blind frog ranch has a little pond in it and that's where they found these blind frogs which obviously were living with no like in man cave kentucky there are fish with no eyes they have just evolved to the state where they can use their other senses, move around and detect food and prey and, and survive that way without vision. It's quite amazing. So these blind frogs came up when they were excavating and they found them and knew that there's a, a deeper cave system there. Turns out that water has very curative properties and a lot of people have been going to Bullfrog Ranch. In fact, the UFO Megacon is doing a conference here this weekend. And a lot more of this information, History Channel does their show about Blind Frog Ranch. But you asked about whether they found something underground, and I think they did. And what they found is there is a connection. Uh, call it a ley line, maybe even some kind of energy or other type of. Uh, minerals, water is passing the, the whole uh, unique basin where both of these locations are found is rife with electromagnetic energy, uh, telluric energy, such as found in ley lines, and all sorts of other similarities between the two. But there's one branch, it's mostly negative entities if we can call them that these creatures through some kind of portal which has been filmed and observed many times but at blind frog it's very much a benevolent location so it's kind of a case of bad and here's that malady that we find so much around this world that where you find bad you'll also find good not too far away vice versa and so that's the dichotomy between the two. And uh, I haven't been to Blind Frog Ranch yet, but the next time I'm up in the Unita Basin, I'm definitely going to make a visit because I've met 
Dwayne Alger is the property owner there and now he's out on the lecture circuit and I've gotten to know him and he's invited me to come come on out. So that would be a comparison to see what exactly is the big difference between the two. Also, what what did they find about this water? Is it like carrying cancer or what what, what did they say the benefits of it had? Yeah benefits of soaking in the water at blind frog that it can um, help you your ailments or i'll go there and check it out and then i'll get back to you robert but That's i've been amazing. to Scott, uh, skinwalker a couple times and i'll tell you it's a strange place yeah yeah yeah, I... yeah a lot of people are going now and all the property around it is being uh picked up by entrepreneurs who are starting out uh, campsites and viewing platforms and other places to keep an eye on skinwalker so it's really uh getting to become a popular place and it really is nowhere in a very remote location of utah isn't stardust ranch out that way too and i think that's that one where that guy he owns it they were gonna uh put horses uh they were gonna raise horses but he and uh, he had encounters with Rays. Do you know what some, which ranch I'm talking about? Stardust Ranch? Mm-hmm. I don't know Stardust Ranch. You know, you, are you talking about Bigelow? Bigelow no, I was Aerospace talking about the one he was on. He was on Kerry Cassidy's program a couple of times. Uh, I can't remember what his name was. Um, but he basically, um, he... he uh, had it was had a portal on his house almost like and it's right in that area it's right where the i guess the point i'm trying to make is that area it's not just uh blind frog and skinwalker it's like the whole area too it's just it's with everything it's like a paranormal it's all right it's really active i think we have a delay i'm familiar with one but it wouldn't surprise me there is a reservoir right on the other side of the cliff face of Skinwalker. Also has a lot of anomalies, even craft coming out of the lake. So it seems that this this notion of a portal being in one location, locations, probably right along this Telluric line, this ley line that connects up to Blind Frog about 25 miles away. Of a lot of normal activity all along this this line. That's that's interesting. Now I wanted to switch the subject. I wanted to ask you like what we can talk about about Atlantis and Lemuria, like because I know you studied pre-Diluvian civilizations, and um, what what would you say the Atlanteans were made up of? Were they humans like us? Because what, or if you had to guess, I know we can't say for sure, like. If you look at like the Sumerian tablets, the Sumerians say that the Anunnaki genetically modified humans. But like, what do you think the Atlanteans were? Were they like a like a proto-human type race? Yeah, it could quite well be a proto-human that were mixed DNA hybrid into human know of. Edgar Casey said that they were the survivors of Atlantis, that those survivors came over to Europe, but also 
the Atlas Mountains of Morocco, and then some of them across the Atlantic to start the cultural and South and North America. So one interesting piece of evidence pertaining the RH negative blood factor comes from these areas, from Scandinavia all the way down to East Mountains, the Basque people, and the Basque language has no identification with any other European languages. It's a standalone language. The blood type also extends way down to the Atlas Mountains of Morocco, where you have fair skinned, fair hair, multicolored people, similarly all the way up to Scandinavia. And these are, this is the uh, heartland of the RH negative. It is without the rhesus monkey protein that traces back to the great apes. So 15 humans who are arch negative show no relation to the great apes on earth. So here we have a little uh, departure from Darwinian evolution. Who are these RH new blood types? And again, Edgar Casey says that they were the survivors of Atlantis and the progenitors of the in Egypt, which became the main cultural hub time ago up until the modern age when they, of course, influenced the Minoan people, the ancient Greeks, and, and so there is a lineage tracing all the way back to Atlantis. Yeah, um, I think the, the 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 legend of Europe, like Europa, uh, the, the 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 goddess Europa, is a is a um, a hybrid story, right? Yeah, it sure is. And uh, hey, Daryl, I can see you now. Hey, Daryl, like hair man, rocking it. Yeah, I had to get it straight, man, because you know the hair is coming back. Yeah, yeah, lineage. Yeah, <laughs> Don King. <laughs> That's what that reminds me. Yeah, <laughs> go back to interview. Hey, Brad, I got one question for you. With the Atlanteans, yeah, but I mean, I remember we did a, a many long shows about your book, and when you made it audio. When it comes to the Atlanteans, do you think the Atlanteans not only were doing the same thing as the? Um, I hate to say the put it this way are they doing the same ideological view of trying to transform the animal man into what we call human but he preferred the animal man because the animal man could do more work were, were they trying to transform genetically the human male yeah well that's called chimera when you... well they were and and so that that's the interesting Atlanta from humans being genetically manipulated and where we are today. So you have a lot of different proto-humans a long time ago from Orthopithecus Africanus to Homo erectus, Neanderthal. They're all very human-like, but they're not human. Same with the elongated skulls. They're very human-like, but they're not quite human. But they have this 
huge cranial capacity 30 times larger than ours. So who and what are all these things? Well, maybe they are a form of chimera, the, the genetics. Now, I was just watching an interview with L.A. Marzulli and George Norrie on Beyond Belief, and they were talking about the giants and how we came here to seed and create uh, this human race who were smart enough to take orders and dig in the mines, but dumb enough not. And maybe that's what we still call people lords or a, a landlord or uh, divine right to rule. Still have this kind of nobility, but really they're people like us, although their DNA might be different and their blood type might be different. Well, isn't it? From antiquity. So L.A. Marzulli was saying that uh, there's now evidence that he's getting working with Brian Forrester, another colleague of mine, in doing some backward engineering of the DNA of some of these elongated skulls, finding out that they might be like a mule. And a donk horse mate, they can have a mule, but a mule is sterile. So that the giants of renown came that Iyaki, they saw the earth women were fair mated with them and the offspring were the nephilim but the nephilim were like in fact they're coming out with new evidence right now that says they're all just like one-offs they're all just a mule that are sterile because not uh, continue to reproduce their species so that would explain why these elongated skulls were like a flash in the pan that they were right off and now they're gone and we're finding other bones. So uh, kind of interesting how it takes us up to this modern age with the finding of these longest coming to conclusions that it all parallels to what was spoken about in the Bible and the Old Testament pertaining to these giants. You know, it's interesting, Brad. Um, you know, when you think about Plato, Plato said that the Atlanteans, one of the reasons why they fell is because they mixed their blood with too much mortal admixture, whatever that meant. And I heard an anthropologist say that it could have been because they were mating with Cro-Magnon, Neanderthal, whereas they maybe thought that they were a superior type of human. And maybe they were mixing, like you said, they were either doing chimera, chimeras or mixing with other forms of human. Do you think that's like... Can you think that's how Plato can be interpreted? That's a good observation, Robert. It would seem that we're talking about the same thing here, that we're talking about uh, being fair and full and uh, these other species, which are human-like but not quite human, took an interest in them, a love interest. Had some offspring, but the offspring could not continue their hybrid race in a natural for for a way. Perhaps it could be test tube induced babies and brought through in modern technology using uh, cloning techniques or hybrid to create these chimeras. Wouldn't that be interesting if, if say, uh, an elongated skull came out of one of these where they're doing this kind of work. So maybe so, Robert. 
Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to switch up to Beyond Esoteric now, your book. Um, an, important, an interesting quote that you had in there, it says, according to Naval Officer William Cooper, it was learned by the secret government that aliens had been and manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. Can you talk about the secret government and the possible alien agenda, whatever that might be? Yeah, I love that quote. I use it all the time. And it really, wow, I want to synthesize it down. Even doing a planet for many hundreds, thousands of years, manipulating humans through secret societies, which cult and religion, the big five right there. And if they were doing all of this for so many years, history has been altered and changed and manipulated to their making to their doings what William was saying is all of these institutions all of these ways with interceding in the spiritual realm it looks like that we have been manipulated by these entities and as a result taking these institutions mainly religion but you could see even the secret societies and mystery schools of old would have been this malevolent et4 which of course their own agenda and which are doing what they feel they need to do to advance their own agenda yeah history Um, and our knowledge of where we came from is greatly distorted at best <laughs> yeah um do, well that makes me wonder i really wanted to ask you what are your thoughts pottery on, uh, we have a delay play, really sorry we have a delay mm. am i uh breaking up it's yeah, a, a little bit <laughs> why don't you guys uh talk for a minute let me restart my computer because I just realized I haven't done that in a while. That sometimes creates it. Oh, Brad, here we go again. I remember the good days when we did this. I'm going to pause the computer. Whatever it is. He was a fraud. And since we're live on air, everybody knows who I am. They know I don't deal with frauds. I don't deal with BS. I don't deal with nobody that's skeptical or crazy. And I like my typical skeptic because he has a mind that thinks beyond. But... The reason why I started this network was because I wanted people to think, simply think. Not everything is being told to us is, what is the word I want to use? Is true. But there's always some truth within the fallacies that they give us, i.e., we have our experimental aircrafts flying over us, but hold on, what time were you flying them? Yeah. Okay, no one ever asked that question, but I do. Um, Questions about life, questions about our politics, our political systems, questions about why um, people are so concerned about the shooter, which I understand it's an American thing. It's a heartfelt thing. But somebody sent me a meme today, and I have to say it's Theresa. And my, my lady, you know, I've been down with her for a long time. 
and she sent me a meme that said, Cain killed Abel with a rock. The Lord didn't get rid of all the rocks. He blamed Cain, not the rock. Yeah. That's a good statement. And so we have a sin problem, not a gun problem. So why are we trying to get rid of guns? These things are like that are what kicks me in my head because I sit back and I wonder where our political system, our socioeconomic system, even our archaeological ideologies. And like my man, Brad Olson, he's been on point all these years and he has not stepped off the grounds of telling the truth about what he knows and what he has seen and what he is actually taking videos of and where he's been. And I still want to go to Antarctica because I need my seventh continent, Brad. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to say it. I need my seventh. You complete the number seven. I haven't done seven yet. So you know what I'm saying? All right. I'm just a real person and with a lot of questions and I'll, I'm desiring a lot of answers. And people like Brad Olson take my mind and enrich it. And that's the reason why I started Global Enlightenment Radio Network. For I love it, man. I love it. And I'm glad you invited me to be a, a part of it. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great network and you have great people on it, you know. Um, it, it's just, it's a cool thing. I really, I really dig it, you know. Um, Thanks a lot, bro. All right, get back to Brad, man, because Brad's got too much information. <laughs> I got to sit here and start thinking with him. <laughs> All right, Brad, you went down to Argentina. I was seeing if you could talk about what you saw. I know there's a big Nazi, or not, I won't say Nazi because they're considered German now, but that's where the Nazis went to, right? And that was hunting Hitler and all that? Well, they sure did. Yeah, and that TV series on History Channel called Hunting Hitler, three seasons with a dozen or so episodes each season. I went to a bunch of the places that they went to as well. And uh, boy, I tell you, Argentina is a, a, a weird country because there are really no Native Americans left anymore, no indigenous culture, unlike Bolivia and Peru, where they're still the majority of the population. So the, there's a joke down in Argentina. Well, if there's no indigenous people left, who are the Argentinians? And they're mostly Southern European immigrants. So the joke is we're Italians who speak Spanish and wish we were as rich as the Germans because it's the German Argentinians that have all the money and the resources and the wealth. And we went to uh, some of these towns like uh, Bariloche or La Falda Boy, it's like walking right into a barbarian village. And I've been to Germany a bunch of times. It's very, very similar. Not only that, but there are massive land holdings I found out about when I was down there. Some about as small as our small states, like the size of Connecticut, that are these land holdings. And mind you, Argentina is the eighth largest country by size. It's a really big country. And it extends so far down south, all the way to Ushuaia, which is where we caught a, a boat to go to Antarctica. And it's so long, it's like uh, 5,000 kilometers from top to bottom. It's just ginormous. So is Chile. Chile is even longer, of course, because it extends all the way up to uh, Peru. So uh, both Chile and Argentina had had all of these... Uh, problems with fascist governments right they were supported by our own cia they would take a democratically elected president and they'd replace him with a fascist to give cover to these 
Fourth Reich Nazis that brought all their equipment down there and were doing their UFO experiments uh, near La Falda. In fact, I was talking to my good friend, David Hatcher Childress, who's one of the stars on Ancient Aliens. And I was telling him that we did a UFO watch over this mountain down there where they're even in my lonely planet i'm flipping through and says oh yeah there's all kinds of ufo activity at this mountain and there have been burn marks and human abductions around here and i was talking to david about it. he says that's not ufos brad those are the german backward engineered craft there's a big deep underground military base right below those mountains and that's one of the places that they set up shop after world war ii They've been doing it for over 70 years. Now, so we, there's a big problem with this, uh, yeah, this this new kind of fascism that's down there. And I do describe it in my new book, too. You also talk about Vril. And, like, it, do you think that's where this reverse engineering started with, with, with Maria Orsic and the Vril Society, you know, channeling some kind of extraterrestrial uh, entities? Or I'll let you take it from there if that's – what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a great question, Robert. It's really important to define our terms because Vril, V-R-I-L, actually means three different things. First, it was the Vril energy that pre-World War II, right after World War I, you have all of these women with really long hair, Maria Orsic and Sigril was another one that they were, they were psychic mediums and they were telepathically getting downloads of very important blueprint-like uh, building mechanical structures that they sent to the engineers and the engineers were actually able to start building from these telepathic downloads. And they were called the Vril Society. So that was the second part. But they were searching for this... Uh, techno magical type of substance we might think of it as uh the ether or possibly even uh plasma which is between the gases and uh liquid state and this is how they flew the craft so the vril would um get these plans and they were operable they were able to start backward engineering that along with some of the downed craft in the Black Forest in 1933. And even a better, more intact craft came out of uh, Italy that Mussolini turned over to the German engineers to start backward engineering. And all the while they were building, then they called them Vril Craft. And there was a whole fleet of Vril Craft. Now, actually, there's a fourth one. I was on with uh, Nicholas Vanneman, uh, two months ago, and we were talking about the Vril Lizard. You guys heard about that? It's it's no. why all the all the elite have black eyes, and maybe also why they cover one eye. Well, the the Vril Lizards are these. I've seen pictures of them that during some of these black magic rituals, in order to get a celebrity or a member of the royal family fully over into the realm of the other globalists who are part of this they would have they would let this little lizard thing go up through the eye that's why the eye is so bruised you see any the royal family and other 
famous celebrities because it goes through the eye and then it gets into the body and basically takes over. And when it takes over, the person's personality changes. They become very promiscuous. They become bisexual. They obviously tout the party line to get uh, the agenda of this globalist. But you could probably make the argument that it's not even their party line, meaning it's not the globalists who are the generals here. They're more, the, the globalists are more of the colonels and the captains, like the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. The real generals are the reptilians, and they may be giving them these little real lizards to get into the head to convert these people over. You know, you got me asking a question. Yeah, now. baby. Okay. <laughs> we got the World Health Organization. We got the World Economic Forum. All these world groups are headed by, I hate to say it, the Jewish people, Jewish nation. They're, they're leaded by Jews. I got a question. When you talk about these leaders, you, you, you brought Rothschilds out. You, okay. You, Every time you bring out a name, it points to one set. Is it their leadership, the Jewish leadership, that's creating this new world order? I mean, I, I mean, I know it's a dangerous question. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna say it. It's a dangerous question because you know, I, I've had I've had other hosts that want to come out and say it, and they 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 were fearful for retaliation. I had Jeffrey Daughtery. I have Jeffrey Daughtery on my network. He calls it out out loud, and they've literally had his show stripped off of almost every social media so far. Can I give you guys my opinion on, like, if you look at World War II, the Rothschilds, uh, the, the, the Jewish people went to the Rothschilds, and they told them that they would get the United States in the war, and they did. And they told that to England. They said to England, we will get the United States in the war. So it was a combination of the Rothschilds and I don't want to say the, 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 the people who were running Israel at the time to uh, to get us in that war. Uh, and, that's a known fact. That's, that's so I would say it's a combination of like a conglomerate of like and Brad, you can you know, whatever you think. But I think it's like many it's different things. Question. I think it's the CIA. I think it's the Mossad. I think it's the Nazis still. What are your thoughts, Brad? Yeah, that's a dangerous. Well, it's, it's dangerous territory because look, we all know Jewish people and we have friends and they're good people. I've been to Israel twice and it's a cool country. Yeah, to be quite honest with you, it's very steeped in history. It, old Jerusalem's one of the coolest old cities I've ever seen. It's really the Khazarian mafia, and ah. Khazaria was this. Guess what? There's a war in Kazaria right now. Where's that? Ukraine. Ukraine. And Kazakhstan, wow. which also fell a couple months ago. They wanted their homeland back. And so they had the Ukrainian government was like a captured operation. That was going to be Israel 2.0. But um, Putin laid waste to those plans. But who are these people? Well, first of all, the Rockefellers are not Jewish. I, I call them globalists. I think that's the best, most appropriate way. If we want to call them out by where they're from, then they're really the Khazarian mafia. And they work like a global mafia. I mean, they have control of the money system. They have a control of most industry. They control NATO right now. So this is a very dangerous game we're playing because the globalists have 
elicited the support of not only the CIA, which Anthony Hilder would often say that the CIA is a captured operation of the globalists, that they are the enforcement arm of the globalists. So when you get the CIA and NATO standing army behind the globalists and now the UN, which they're voting whether the World Health Organization can supplant all the laws of the country and next pandemic, oh, you don't think there's gonna be another pandemic? Well, I could probably predict it to the day that it's, oh, after monkeypox, there'll be another one, there'll be another one. And it's all the globalist plan to take over the world. So, I mean, this is the Davos Group World uh, Economic Forum people. This is the real enemy. This is who we need to focus on, call them out. Any of these politicians who have gone through their young political uh, leader program, which is Justin Trudeau, Boris Johnson, um, Charles Schwab in France, Charles Schwab, he's the head dog. Yeah. But again, and he's more like a colonel. I would suspect because they come out of Geneva, Switzerland. Yep. It's also there, CERN. CERN. CERN is the biggest hadron collider. It can create these wormholes. And it's interesting. We started talking about Skinwalker Ranch as a natural portal. This is an artificial portal. And what they can do with this technology, it's really beyond our wildest dreams, but perhaps allowing some backup ships to come through perhaps allow other alien species to come through or maybe they wanted to use it to escape to get off planet because there is a counter to them and that's this white hat alliance and they are moving in on them they're making it much harder for these globalists to operate especially when they lost their cash cow in the ukraine which was uh, human trafficking adrenochrome drugs i mean look at hunter biden's laptop if you want the evidence for that I got this a question, guy, Brad. Does this Kazarian well. mafia go back to Tataria? Is that why we've been? Is, was it, do you know much about Tataria? Well, yeah, Tatar is a region in Russia. Okay, the Tatar people—they were similar to the Mongols, and the Mongols spread across. They were knocking at the gates of Vienna during the Mughal Empire, all the way from uh, the Yellow Sea in the east all the way to europe in the west and it's interesting you brought that up because the kazarians this crossroads in what is today ukraine and kazakhstan which was kazaria a thousand years ago was a cross of mongol people the mongols are part of it and tataria was part of it so they're all in this uh, big family this big club, as uh, George Carlin says, and we're not in it. <laughs> Someone said that on the other day. I wonder why Tataria is so covered up. Like, And if you ever look at the people who talk about Tataria conspiracies, they try to say that Rome wasn't real or, you know, they kind of go along the lines of the flat earth people a little bit. Like they try to start saying that a lot of history wasn't real and that Tataria was real. Have you heard this? And what are your thoughts? Yeah, I have. And uh, I think it's a, it's a bit disingenuous to put it politely similar with the flat earth theories i see where they're coming from but it's it's really a manipulation uh, okay there were catastrophes there were disasters there were even mud floods look the island of malta which has some of the oldest megalithic ruins in the world 
it's completely flooded over and and the caves were filled with mud and packed into those caves were uh, giant uh, fauna and flora but the big animals like mammoths were found in the caves of Malta they never walked on Malta they could never survive on little Malta island but when the ocean levels were lower they could just cross right over from Europe so they were there and so there were these catastrophes that are kind of confusing things because out here in California where I'm at uh, I used to live right on the verge of Golden Gate Park and then also not too far away uh, there was a presidio where uh, next to it is the Palace of Fine Arts and the Palace of Fine Arts is where one of these world fairs took place and I'm one of those guys that holds up everybody because I got to read the placard, right? And I kind of have a photographic memory. So I just, I remember things that are really interesting to me. And I grew up in Chicago and we had the World's Fair there in the late 19th century down by the Museum of Science and Industry. I've been to Balboa Park in San Diego where they did. So I've been to a lot of the places where they've done the World's Fair, also St. Louis with the Arch. They, did, they spent billions of dollars on those world fairs, right? And then they just blew them up. I, I, I know a little bit about this. And then they, they, they made the natives out to look like savages, right? And the only people that could afford to go were like the teachers. Is this all correct? So just put yourself back 100 years or 120 years ago. No TV, no radio, no real communication. And so what do you do when you want to learn about what's new in the world? You go to a world's fair. And that's what people did. They were very, very popular. I mean, Tesla did the one in New York State and he uh, hit the electricity switch. It was the first demonstration of electricity. So you can see when you had no other source of information apart from reading books, you'd want to go to these World's Fair. I think they sound really interesting. And a lot of museums and pieces of art remain from that time in Chicago, the Field Museum, the Museum of Science and Industry, the Planetarium. They built out the jetty. They had the World's Fair there. I mean, I've read all the placards and seen the history. So I think it's a little disingenuous for people from Tatar to say that there was this great civilization that was there. Well, it was built there. And a lot of these buildings were built for temporary use only because that land is valuable and they wanted to redevelop it. They kept them as parks and some of the buildings as museums. But for the most part, they were teardowns. They were not built to last some of them like the palace of fine arts in san francisco was such a great beautiful monument that it was built out of kind of like paper mache and uh, chicken wire and it was starting to crumble and people said oh that's such a beautiful structure let's rebuild it to make it permanent and they did and that's what you see today okay so it's not as big of a conspiracy as what people are saying like the the, the world fairs are I can't quite follow everything in Tataria. I mean, bits of it, they're pulling in bits and pieces. So there was a world flood. There have been catastrophes. There's a lot of proof of that. But I'll tell you, there was no civilization in San Francisco before uh, people arrived here about uh, uh, 170 years ago when the, the gold rush became. And then it was the biggest migration in human history. And how can I say that? Well, I, I've seen old maps. I've seen old drawings of the city. And look, if there had been a Tartaria there, there would have been drawings and etchings and history of it. It's not like this can just get edited out so easily. 
Um, yeah. So I think there's there's parts of it that are very intriguing. I love looking at all those old pictures of the world's fairs and stuff, but I don't think it's of a lost civilization. If we want to talk lost civilization, let's go to the megaliths. That's where it's really at. Yeah. You know, let's go to Sacsayhuaman above Cuzco and let's go, let's see, Daryl. <laughs> let's go somewhere where you have some real intriguing structures and how they were built and then we got a good story even coral castle and we, we oh, don't yeah. even know how that was that's like a, 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 i think we and you talked about that that's a modern uh example of megalithic building right it is the only modern megalithic building in the last hundred years built by one single guy who's like a 99 pound weakling from latvia his name was edley scalen if anybody's down in the miami area southern florida Go to the Coral Castle. It'll blow your mind how this one guy moved 33 ton blocks and fitted them in a wall and then erected obelisks, which had astronomical viewpoints. It's truly a fascinating sight. Yeah. And I, 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 I was wondering, did they say he, like, he did it with like a black box or something, or is that conspiracy? No, there were uh, some other implements that he have that have been since lost. Kids used to spy on him in the middle of the night. He'd work alone and he did have uh, lev levers, pulleys. He was a genius as far as using uh, leverage to his advantage to move some of these things. But he would also hold these cone-shaped instruments. And when asked what how did you build these things all he would say is i knew the secrets of how they built the pyramids in egypt so perhaps he was like some reincarnated master who had a a memory how to do all this and uh put it all together by himself and when he died um he took his secret to the grave however they found his workroom which was in a basement below his little castle that he built for himself to live. And they found this black box, which would, and it's in even some photos, you'd see it, he'd prop it up above where he was moving the megaliths, he'd use these cones and from some of these tools uh, and perhaps his own ability to levitate these heavy objects i think it was through auditive levitation using sound frequencies to render these blocks weightless and then he's just basically steering them into place but unfortunately that black box is lost and so are these cone-shaped wands that he used so when i took the tour I, I asked the tour guide how the heck did he move these things and can we get a look at this black box and that's what they told me they they do downplay the whole idea of how he moved and they just said he was a master at levers and pulleys and lever and i said what about the picture with the black box and it said yeah unfortunately they lost that so we can't comment because we don't know what it was <laughs> daryl had a question hey and that was convenient to lose it you know it's, it's mm -hmm. more conveniently Oh, my neck just twisted. Oh, that was a lie. I'm sorry. <laughs> they stole it and hid it, and they probably got the CIA. The bottom line is, I have a question for you, Brad, and it's another one about these UFOs, because people are seeing these triangle objects, and then the United States bring out the, their triangle ship. 
uh, as a, you know, to show. I mean, we don't right. show our crafts like other nations, you know, like show their military equipment. Do you believe, whoops, man, this I camera and me are just me. having a hard time today, aren't we? The question I have for you, Brad, um, when you went to Antarctica and you were talking about the the lights you saw in the sky, you you, you had a good view of everything that was there. Did you feel there was something over watching you? I mean, like we, you know, like we feel somebody staring at you. It's like they knew Brad Olson's there. He's going to report the truth. Um, we better watch him, make sure nothing goes wrong type attitude. Did you feel that feeling while you were there? I don't think I'm that self-important to think that they're following me around and protect me. But I'll tell you this, that it was it was a trip that was wrought with danger. And certainly we're taking precautions to stay aboard that boat. If you fell overboard, the hypothermia would hit you within minutes and you're dead. Before Before the sailboat could even circle around and try to scoop you up you'd probably be dead of hypothermia. So it was a very dangerous trip in that regard. But uh, anytime we were on watch or helping out uh, up or on deck, you had to wear these uh, these vests with a lifeline clipped in to the boat. And one of our guys, well, they got hit by a, a rogue wave. And one of our guys would have gone overboard had it not been for this vest and, and the life jacket. So... Uh, Perhaps his uh, angels were watching over him, Daryl. But I have to say that uh, in in South America, we were getting ready to go on this trip. You know, it, it, there were so many synchronicities that came into play that it for a while it didn't even look like we were going to go. That there was no room. Even the cruise ships were all filled up for another month and a half. And we didn't have time to stick around for that. And then this ship just uh, appeared and had room for myself and my partner at the time and we went on this this incredible trip for 26 days down to antarctica and so now i've been invited and i finally took one offer to debate with flat earth dave because he says we got some new information about antarctica i'm like oh really what's that <laughs> that there's an ice wall well that's not an ice wall i've been there there's mountains and beautiful mountains i could even show you on my phone i mean i got pictures and videos queued up from that trip and so uh it, it's around earth and spherical to be more exact and uh, i've been around the world look i've been around the world on a three-year trip uh mostly in the equatorial regions and i've been up to trondheim norway which is just a few degrees south of the arctic circle and i've been within one degree of the Antarctic circle. And then it gets colder when you go south. It gets warmer when you get to the equator. And that's just very... That's That story about the Ark of Gabriel is pretty interesting though, Brad, that you told me about about them, the, the krill. Or if you could tell Daryl and the audience about that, that's, uh, that's so interesting. I think we talked about that on the last show. Yeah, we did. And so as not to repeat ourselves, we just catch Daryl and your audience up to speed. So there was this... Uh, Remember that stampede in uh, Mecca, Saudi Arabia, going on 10 years now, maybe about eight years ago, uh, and there was a huge loss of life. Hundreds of people trampled to death was the cover story. But really what it was is they were finding this Ark of Gabriel, which was like the Ark of the Covenant that had incredible uh, energetic 
powers to it so that when it was uncovered, it created like a, a flash explosion that killed a lot of people. So they knew they had to get rid of it because it was found right there by Mecca. And that's one of the biggest pilgrimage sites in the world. And it was only Russia that says, well, we can help you get rid of that. Somehow they knew or had the technology to isolate it, lift it out and get it over to Jeddah. And this is where the story is very verifiable because a big armada of Russian ships came to Jeddah only months after the stampede and sailed for Antarctica, Saudi Arabia to Antarctica, direct shot. You know where they brought it? Down to the old bunkers of the New Berlin base into New Schwabenland. And so there it sits to this day. And then a few years later, probably as soon as he could pull up his chin straps and get on a plane and go, Patriarch <laughs> Krill, who is like the Pope of the Eastern Orthodox religion, head down to Antarctica. But before he went, the Pope was in Cuba doing one of his tours. So he went and met Pope Francis and they had a private meeting. Usually these guys are like rivals and they're at each other's throat, right? Because each one is talking about Christianity in the wrong way. But for this, they got together and then Krill went on down to Antarctica to bless an Orthodox chapel. Well, that was in the same year on this 2015, 2016 timeframe when all the elite were going down there. In fact, they're going down there again now, and there's some speculation why. But in this time frame, it was John Kerry. Remember, he was down there on election day in 2016, and you got Prince Harry doing a cross-country ski trip with his buddies from the South Pole to the 89th degree South Parallel. And that's pretty interesting because that is where the reported hole in the ice is. So Prince Harry and the boys want to go uh, check out the hole in the ice and a lot of other weird stuff that goes on down there. But the, that's the backstory of the Ark of Gabriel. And that's where it presumably remains to this day. And, and it's so vast down there and big. Like we talked about this as well, but just to give the audience an idea of the reason why you, I mean, like you couldn't get a good scope of what was going on down there. It's like, nobody can, because it's so huge. Right. And it's so hard to get around. And on top of all that, nobody really knows what's going on. Right. No civilians, at least. Well, that's right. And right now they're coming into the Antarctic winter because seasons are all opposite the Southern hemisphere. There's only a thousand people on the entire continent. It's just, they basically <laughs> bug out, you know, no tourism, all the scientists leave the bases, all the seasonal bases shut down. And it's just really a skeleton crew at the other bases remain there throughout the winter. And I know a guy who lived at South Pole for a whole year, his name's Eric Hecker. And we got to- I had him on my show. At a conference. Yeah, Eric's great. And of course he debunks the flat earthers too. And he saw the whole- uh, rotation of the sun so it goes into four months of pitch black darkness can you imagine that would be pretty hard to deal with but they get through it and then conversely in the summer it's four months of just the sun just rotates around and it's it's daylight for four months straight uh and the other two months on both sides of that are a uh, twilight where the sun just dips below the horizon but it it doesn't get uh completely dark out yet until it goes down far enough so there are videos quite a bit of evidence that uh 
that this is what happened. So it debunks the whole flat earth theory, which they say the South Pole station doesn't even exist, that it's just this wall of ice and that's it. And then they make up these land masses beyond that. And so, you know, if you want to believe a fantasy, go ahead. So right after I did this debate with Flat Earth Dave and this other guy, and they're kind of trying to gang up on me, but I just held my guns. I mean, I've been there. I know it. I was looking over my captain's shoulder the whole time because I study cartography and the lay of the land. So what are you saying? All these maps are made up, even though we're seeing the landforms right there on the map out the window. No, it's not. Yeah. Made up. You can circumnavigate the continent. There's pretty much mountains and landmass you can see the whole way there's no such thing as a ice wall there are ice sheets that may appear as a wall if you're looking up at it from the water level but this is what happens when you have glaciers that calve out to sea and break apart in fact that was the first thing we saw were these massive icebergs like the size of a I grew up in Chicago, so it's the merchandise mart right in Chicago one of the biggest buildings in the world and that's what these icebergs look like 30 stories tall with a flat top just floating by you know, like wow we better not hit one of those <laughs> that would be the end of us so it's a cool place but yeah I, I think all mysteries can we can start to try to solve them Brad I want you to crush the flat earther I want you to destroy them you know how I love to do it destroy crush listen if if people keep believing that the earth is flat, I swear, I, I don't know what's going to happen when they drive cross country. <laughs> Off the edge of the earth there. Off the edge of the earth. I mean, uh, hold on. There's only Surfing one contest. <laughs> you know, uh, when I did this debate with uh, Flat Earth Dave a couple months ago, a lot of people in the comments section were saying that uh, it was the Jesuits that made these really slick videos yeah, <laughs> they put it out there. yeah. It all traces back to the Jesuits about 15 years ago. Because look, 20 years ago, we'd never even had this discussion. Nobody was talking about this at all. Wait, the, the, all of a sudden you get all these slick videos and people believe it. And look, you can trace it back to the Jesuits who are what? Well, the one thing that, that that flat Earth Dave, because I've had him on my show too. But the one thing that he and I, I don't know if his footage is real. But from what he showed me, it looks like NASA is definitely faking a lot of stuff. That's one thing that I thought that he had was like good at, like not about flat Earth, but I'm talking about like what they're showing us about space. Do you think that's true, Brad? Are they definitely, is NASA definitely lying to us? Or, I mean, like, what, what would you have to say? Well, you know, the acronym for NASA is never a straight answer. Just try to ask him anything about extraterrestrials or ask him about, uh, relics on the moon or mars they'll just never a straight answer that but there are some things that are real science and uh i think they have to put that out there it's a cover really nasa since its inception with by the way paperclip nazis was started as a cover for the secret space program so they yeah. wanted to make it seem like oh we're trying we're sending rockets these roman candles up into space and oh we'll never be able to get to another star because they're 43 light years away bernard star is like the closest planet to us solar system uh we'll never get there because it's 43 light years away but all the while they've been backward engineering these craft to be able to go through wormholes to be able to get up to the speed of light in which all matter becomes energy 
Yeah. I remember reading this great uh, article in Nexus magazine about 20 years ago. And, and mind you, anytime anybody writes about this is the frontier of science, this is the latest breakthrough, that's like a decade or longer old old news, right? It's only then coming out. So it was saying in this Nexus article that uh, came out 20 years ago, so it was probably in the 80s that we were getting these backward engineered craft up to the speed of light. It's nine-tenths the speed of light. And I write about this in uh, one of my other esoteric books in Future Esoteric, How to Fly UFO, and some of this information. And so when these NASA astronauts or people working in the secret space program got up to the speed of light, all matter became energy. And at that point, if you know where you're going, you can consciously steer your craft to those destinations or through those wormholes to get where you want to go. But because all the astronauts were military pilots, they were trained, basic training, how to shoot a gun, how to kill an enemy, all that kind of thing that you have to go through in basic training. So these military jarheads, they were not trained to be uh, enlightened Buddhists, so to speak. They, they didn't have the mental wherewithal to be able to go through. So this Nexus article is saying they got up there. They met the conditions, nine-tenths of speed of light. Boom, they hit a black wall and they had to come right back because the pilots were not properly prepared to do these kind of missions. They were not of a Buddha mind or an enlightenment state where they could direct the craft. See, this is the real key to understanding how these UFOs fly. It is an interaction with the mind of the pilot and the ship itself, which is a biological extension of their own body. It is a biological craft. People say they they would uh, abductees who are inside a craft would touch the inner lining and it was soft, it was cushiony, and it was also, in a way, uh, somatic. It, it, it had a, a memory and thought, and it was a living life form that it had uh, a certain kind of sentience in the craft itself. So this is kind of mind blowing when you think about how to fly these craft, but that's why there are no windows per se or pilots with instruments. They sit in a chair and put their handprints on a machine and sometimes wear headbands or the chair itself interacts with the suit. And so it's the full cognitive abilities of the pilot that steer the craft and the craft becomes part of them. So they're, it's, it's almost like they're, their bodies are the craft and they're just moving their limbs around with their minds so we got a long way to go until we can really fully master this kind of technology but that, that's where it's going that's where all the data points are leading that's amazing and that makes me think of when i interviewed men buchanan the remote viewer he told me that they would have to do plans for like uh they would remote view like alien civilizations and they would have to do plans on how, like if they would encounter, if someone would encounter a civilization, how to react to it? Like they would have to remote view how these civilizations acted, um, what their customs and traditions were. So, because when you encounter a civilization, you could go right into war if you. It's like it's like you know going to another country and saying something wrong because you don't ignorance, right? You know what I mean? Have you ever heard that before? 
about the remote viewing, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just at a conference in Sedona last weekend with uh, Tom Dongo. He's one of the top remote viewers in the world who's live today. And yeah, he he this is really interesting. He was saying that for all his life, he's had an interaction or a dialogue telepathically with mainly Pleiadians, but other advanced ET species. He said, right now, the line has gone dead. He hears nothing back. He thinks that they hear his questions, but they don't respond, which his feeling was, we are very, very close to a singularity event, whereas the aliens can't talk about this right now, that you're just going to have to wait and see. So it would appear that we are on the brink of something that is irrevocably going to change the course of human history as well as human consciousness so we are on the brink of of a great awakening we really are and but there's going to be some speed bumps in the way it's not like it's just gonna flash in an instant i think there have to be some circumstances that get most humans on board to be able to be prepared for this kind of thing because it's a total paradigm shift it's a, a departure from anything we know as reality up to this point. Oh, that's amazing. I, I don't, I, I think that's the best way to end the discussion. I mean, uh, I, I don't have any other questions. Um, thank you so much for doing this, Brad. And I want to see if Daryl has any other questions. Daryl, do you have any other questions? Brad, only thing I got to ask you is this. How do you stay so young being so tall? <laughs> <laughs> I travel a lot, Daryl. I was down in Mexico two weeks ago where I got this haircut and, the shirt and uh, just, uh, just try to laugh a lot try to be happy try to be outdoors and be with friends i went to a dinner party last night just being around kindred spirits i think daryl is is uh my secret and you're right you're right you know something being happy that's all and be happy through these great changes too because to a lot of people it's going to freak them out but i think you guys and your audience are pretty sophisticated and they can see that these changes are absolutely necessary. It's like growing pains. Remember when we were all teenagers, how painful it was sometimes with our muscles and bones growing, but you get through it and you come out the other end, a better person. So that that's going to be the analogy for the whole human race going into these, uh, well, some people would say tumultuous times, but I think it's, it's just the age we live in and we'll get through it. It's going to be a great, it's a great time to be alive. To be here and watch it all happen. Yeah, and to know you guys. And boy, Daryl, you and I go back many years. So we're kind of always keeping up with each other. And (laughs) it's cool to have friends around the world. It really is, you know, because you're seeing it the same, you know, different pair of eyes, but we're seeing what's happening in the world changing uh, concurrently. And, And it's great to catch up with you and share notes like this. And I just love you. Going through it. I love you, man. Hey, tell your brother yeah. hello, and I still haven't forgotten about him. <laughs> and tell dad hi too. That's All so right. cool that you know. And and Brad, before you go, if you could tell everybody where to find your books, where to find your website, all that good stuff. I wouldn't want to forget about that. Yeah, for sure. And thank you for that. Uh Beyond Esoteric is the latest book in the Esoteric series. There's also Modern and Future Esoteric. And boy, you can find them all right here at cccpublishing.com, esotericseries.com is another website devoted to the 
series of books. And if you want to know more about me, bradolson.com. That was great. And I want to thank conferences. I'll be I, I want to thank you again for doing this, Brad. And I want to thank Daryl for being a gracious host and, 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 and providing good questions and laughter. And this was a, this was an awesome show. This was great. Thank you both. I really appreciate it. Very much. My pleasure. Great to see you again, Daryl. And, and you too. It's been a great show and thank you for having me on. All right. Have a good day, guys.